Welcome to Fruit Snacks, a weekday podcast that covers big ideas about the Christian worldview in a bite-sized format. Hey everyone, a couple quick announcements before we dive into this week of Fruit Snacks. First of all, I want to uh, apologize for my extra podcasty voice right now. I am getting over a pretty nasty cold, and of course, uh, being a podcaster, my voice is the very last thing that this cold wants to hold on to. So, sorry for any cracks and squeaks that may find their way into this episode. I waited as long as possible to record, and I'm still not quite there yet. So please bear with me. Second thing, this is going to be the final week of this season of Fruit Snacks, meaning that after this week, we're going to take a break. I actually have our fourth child, our second daughter, is due in about a month. And so I want to take what time we have between now and then to help my wife prepare and to just get ready to receive uh, our new little one into our family. And so on the other side of that, once our daughter is here, uh, I'm going to resume podcasting and we're going to pick up with our fourth season of the podcast focusing on worldviews. We're going to be looking at what other worldviews other than Christianity believe, why they believe it, and how we as Christians can best approach or interact with people of other faiths and other perspectives and worldviews. So for today's episode, I want to continue and finish the conversation that we started last week about this idea of free will in heaven and how that could work. And again, I want to preface this by saying that just like what we looked at last week, there are some options out there for how this could work. But by no means am I saying that any of these are absolutely the way that it does or doesn't in fact work because we don't know. We can have some biblical support for our position and some is certainly better than none, which some of these other positions have had. That said, though, I'm not sure that we're ever going to arrive at a completely slam dunk for sure destination on a question like this, this side of eternity. It is in some ways like the doctrine of the Trinity. And what I mean by that is we know that the Bible clearly affirms that God is one. And yet we know that the Bible also clearly affirms that God is a plurality of persons. And so how exactly do we fit those two biblical truths together? Sometimes they're held in tension. And we can, I think, adequately articulate the doctrine, but as soon as you start to spend more time on it than is really necessary, you begin to stray into unbiblical territory or dare I say heresy. And so I definitely want to avoid that with this. But what I mean to say is just like with the doctrine of the Trinity, for instance, with this idea of free will in heaven, we have two notions that I think the Bible affirms and we've made a biblical case for, that heaven will be a place where there is no sin and also that 
we are free beings, that we are created as free beings. And that would seem to continue for the duration of our existence, unless we want to basically make an argument from silence or posit something outside of uh, what we find in the biblical framework. And so today I want to give my personal position on where I fall on this, how I think this could work, as I outlined and defended in my thesis that I did as part of my grad program. And I'm not going to bore you with all the nitty gritty details. If you really, really want to read the thesis in its entirety, it's about 48 pages or so. And uh, you can email us at podcast at rooted.productions and I will get you a copy. For now, though, I just want to outline that instead of this evictionist view or this impeccable character view that we looked at last week, I don't find either of those satisfying personally because they seem to swing the pendulum just way too far in one direction or the other. And what I propose is something that tries to walk that line right down the middle. And it is something known as a Molinist position. Now, Molinism is an idea that we have, I believe, covered on the podcast in the past. And if you are looking for uh, some resources on what exactly Molinism is, you can check out a couple different views. Uh, William Lane Craig has written a book called The Only Wise God, The Compatibility of Divine Foreknowledge and Human Freedom. And another gentleman by the name of Kenneth Keithley has written a book called Salvation and Sovereignty, a Molinist Approach. And both of them are excellent reads if you're interested in this idea. But the idea of Molinism is basically to say that the Bible clearly affirms God's sovereignty and his foreknowledge. The question is how exactly those things work. Someone on a determinist position would be more likely to, I think, suggest that God's foreknowledge and his sovereignty means that he just determines actions, that if he knows something is going to happen in the future, it's because he has determined that it will happen. But a Molinist would not take that approach. It's a little more nuanced than that, and it's based on several biblical examples which we can point to. Uh, and I'll give you a couple here. The first and probably the, the best example comes from a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 23 with regard to this encounter that David has with the Lord and these men at a city called Kila. The, the long and the short of it is uh, David goes to hide from Saul in this city called Kila, and he asks God after he finds out that Saul is coming for him there, he asks God, if he stays, will the men of the city deliver him up to Saul? Will they betray him? And God answers him, yes. And so David does something interesting. He leaves the city. He actually escapes Kyla before Saul even gets there. And so Saul finds out before he even arrives at the city that David is already gone. And so he turns around and he marches home. And why this is so fascinating is that God seems to be giving David here insight into what would have happened if circumstances other than the ones that actually happened, happened. In other words, 
uh, David is hearing from the Lord what would happen if he stayed in the city and if Saul reached the city while David was still there. But we know from the rest of the, the story that neither of those things actually happened. So what are we left to think about this? Then if God's sovereignty is just based on a simple foreknowledge where God only knows what will in fact happen, then what are we to make of God's telling this to David here? God seems to have knowledge beyond just what will happen, but also his knowledge seems to extend to what would happen in any number of potential scenarios or circumstances even if they never actually come to pass. We see Jesus make a similar statement when he uh, says in Matthew chapter 11 of Chorazin and Bethsaida, these two cities that he performed miracles in. He said, if what I had done in you was performed in uh, Tyre and Sidon, Old Testament cities that were judged, uh, they would have repented. So either Jesus is just making a hyperbolic statement here, but within the context of this passage, I'm not sure that that's the best interpretation, or Jesus is claiming to have knowledge of what would have happened in several Old Testament cities if different circumstances had obtained or occurred within them. Now, if we take these ideas that are presented here in these passages seriously, I think the conclusion is really fascinating with regard to God's foreknowledge, that it's not just a simple knowing of what will happen, but also God's being knowledgeable about every possibility in, in, in every possible scenario or outcome, even the ones that don't actually occur, that God's knowledge is far more complete than just simply knowing what will, in fact, happen. He also knows what would happen if, insert X, Y, or Z variant or variable or scenario. Now, if that's true, and again, there are several passages in Scripture that seem to indicate this. If that's true, it means that God not only knows every choice we could make in heaven, but he also knows every choice we would make in heaven, in any set of circumstances we find. And then ultimately, he knows every choice that we will actually really truly make. And if that is how God's knowledge works, and again, I'm persuaded that it is, then it seems like God could orchestrate things or have orchestrated things in such a way that God does not need to restrict or determine our wills in any way or or to restrict our even our character to make us impeccable to guarantee that we will not sin nor does god have to leave open the possibility that somehow maybe we will in fact sin that god can leave us perfectly free and i mean that in the truest libertarian sense of the of the term and guarantee eternal sinlessness in heaven simply because God knows every possible circumstance and choice that could be made in heaven. And he knows that the only free choices that will be made in heaven happen to be those that are never sinful and are always righteous. And God is not uh, needing to impose his will or to restrict our freedom in any way. He just simply knows that 
based on the circumstances that have led up to heaven, based on all that he has done in the world to prepare us and to sanctify us and to lead his people up to the place where they ultimately inherit the heavenly kingdom, that at that point, with all the experience we have, with all the object lessons we have, with all the memories we carry from this earthly existence, God simply knows that his people will actually only choose righteously, even though they could theoretically choose to sin, just like I could theoretically choose to jam a pencil in my eye, I will in fact never do that. And if, again, that is how God's knowledge works, then the Molinist interpretation of freedom and heaven and all these things can, I think, explain, even just on a theoretical level, how we can be truly free in heaven and eternally sinless without God having to basically put us under his thumb or restrict us in some way other than or differently than how we currently find ourselves. And so that means that our experience in heaven could be very much similar in a lot of ways to what our earthly experience is right now without the influences of the world and the flesh and the devil sort of tempting us and leading us away. And because we will be in the immediate presence of God, there are going to be a lot of different factors for sure. But in terms of how we experience our consciousness and our own choices and our own freedom, I'm not sure that there's going to be much difference. So at the very least, it's an interesting, I think, take on how we can reconcile these two seemingly disparate ideas that we find in scripture while affirming both and not having to water down or compromise either. 